You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. What's good, fam? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. It has creation tools to help you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or from your computer. Anchor will even help distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast, it's all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Dear Sound Podcast. First of all, as I normally do, I want to say thank you. There's a ton of content out there that is vying for your attention, and I appreciate you giving this audio experience an opportunity. And I'm going to do my best not to let you down. Today, you probably noticed that I'm a little bit more upbeat than the last couple of podcasts And it is because I don't have to do it by myself today. Today, I have my first uh, guest. I am super excited about it because part of this journey for me is tapping into the experiences of other men. Every man has a story about uh, their fatherhood journey and how that informs how they live their life today. So today, without further ado, we have the good Dr. Ron Holloman joining the show. Dr. Holloman, I appreciate you. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing fine, man. Blessed to be honored and humble. Absolutely, man. Tell the people who Dr. Ron Holloman is. If somebody that didn't know you wanted to know who you are, what's the what's the 15, 30 second spill on the good doctor? Hey, look, man, I, I'll give you one just shorter than that. You know, uh, people expect me to identify myself as Dr. Holloman, but the best title that I could give is I'm a mama's baby boy. Absolutely. You know, so, but I'm from Norfolk, Virginia, born and raised, went to college at Virginia State, got my first job at Hampton High, where I was honored to be able to work with some great adults and great kids, such as yourself. Right, right. That is where we met, and we, we were having a little bit of conversation before we started rolling in. You know, I know, I know Dr. Holloman, as Mr. Holloman initially, right? The the, yeah. the disciplinarian, the educator, 
And then he kind of moved into a, a big brother capacity for me and several of all of my crew really from, from Hampton. And now to have this conversation with you as doctor, although, you know, you, you shy away from uh, leading with that title. Uh, it is an honor and a privilege and I appreciate you gracing the show. So at the Dear Son podcast, you know, this, this podcast was born out of really a, an obsessive assessment of my relationship with my sons. So I have a 14 year old and a six year old son. I also have three daughters. Daughters are breeze, but um, at least for now. <laughs> but my, my sons, man, I, I started getting nervous because at 14 is when I started to kind of push my father away. Now he was in the house of so my fatherhood story, two parent home, traditional, what one would consider, you know, a, a, a good household. Um, my father, uh, no alcohol, no drug stories, no, no, nothing sensational like that. You know, he was, in, he was engaged in my life, but for whatever reason, I, I just didn't want his involvement. And it came full circle when I had kids and I needed him and thank God, you know, he's still here for me to depend on him and, and tap into his wisdom. But I just couldn't figure out why to have such a good situation. Why would I create so much risk by not tapping into the resource? So tell us a little bit about your fatherhood story, how you came up and you know what that dynamic was like. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I'm uh, from Norfolk, Virginia, and I'm a third generation educator. And huh. uh, actually, Derek, uh, I don't think any of the guys that I mentored in your group knew that I'm a, I'm a spitting image of my father. Wow. You know, spitting wow. image, you know. And um, and so actually that's a positive and a negative because, you know, at, at growing up as a kid, it was a negative thing. I'm not going to lie. You know, right. ashamed and, you know, uh, uh, wondering uh, why was I, you know, his son and I attributed all the problems that, you know, growing up to looking like him. You know, I'm just being real, real sure. uh, transparent with you. And... And, um, and so, uh, you know, just growing up, uh, I still tried to do, um, you know, do my best and represent him. But in terms of our relationship, unfortunately, it wasn't the best that it could have been. And actually, um, uh, and, and this is kind of some irony because the part, the time that our relationship actually got better was the day that I got the phone call that, I was going to be teaching at Hampton High. Hmm. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was, I still remember that giving phone call. I still remember giving high five. And then uh, two years after then, it, no, uh, during that time, actually, is when he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Wow. So he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 91. And like I said, uh, our relationship got stronger when I began teaching because, you know, he was a teacher, you know, he kind of, he, he kind of, he didn't look at me as a son. He looked at me as a, you know, uh, as a kid that's in this profession that he, you know, that he wanted to mentor. Oh, and wow. I'll forget, you know, one of the things, one of the things he told me like way back in, I want to say back in 89 is he said, always remember this. And you probably know this as a father. He said, always remember this. You want to, it's best that, it's easiest to lighten up than to tighten up. And so. Wait, 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 wait. It's, it's, it's easier, to, it's easier lighten up. to lighten up than to tighten up. Gotcha. Okay. 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 Because, and, and it's kind of analogous to, you know, kids are like a twig 
but when they grow older, they become like a branch of their heart of the brick kind of thing. And so, um, so, um, and that's that's actually the way that I kind of I kind of led my class because because it, it gave me a chance to show boundaries. You know, when I when I started off strong, you know, whereas you know if you start off kind of light, then the kids aren't gonna take you, but they take me. You know, for you know serious businesses, so gotcha. it was more difficult to kind of tighten up. You know, when you know they had already got used to this light, chill person. Gotcha. See, and see, and that that really, man, that really was the the bedrock of my teaching career. Matter of fact, I even you know share that with some of uh, the teachers that I supervise, and so you know that's that's like I said, that's when we started clicking as a you know not as a father son but as those educators, and from that point, man, our relationship was the best. I mean, the wow. absolute best, the wow. absolute best. You know, so um, and 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 actually, man, um, it it it. I'm glad to say that it was the absolute best because for during that time, you know, I I really didn't want to have a son. To feel the way I felt towards my father, to feel towards me, and ashamed. And so, I. Uh, that's why I'm not a father. Well, a biological father today. Sure. You I, know? I, um, I, and I, I was going to correct you if you left it as you're not a father. You are a father figure to many, and probably had more impact than any single father has just by nature of who you are and how you care for the people that you oversee adults, yeah. young adults and kids, man. But you know, what's really interesting. And it, it, it just clicked when you gave that piece of your story about prostate cancer is that's what opened my eyes to my, my relationship with my dad, that, that, that he's mortal. He's not going to be here forever because he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 99. And at the time, I had made a decision to go out of town when he was having uh, surgery. And um, there was a valid reason that he understood. I was, it was for love, right? I was chasing love. And, you know, it was, it was, it was an event that I needed, I needed to be at rather than be by his side um, after his surgery. But some things happened during that weekend, and I ended up coming back early. And seeing him in the hospital bed was kind of that aha moment that I never really thought about until now is that like he, he's mortal, right? I've been taking it for granted all of this time and here he is with his major surgery and I'm still finding a way not to be near him or by his side because I was putting myself first, my, my selfish uh, wants and desires before that. I, I never knew that about, about you, but there's a commonality in our stories that Mm -hmm. if for no for no other reason than the conversation we having there it would have been an unknown commonality that's really that's right it's really interesting so you, you mentioned kind of resenting looking like your your dad did that manifest in a way that um that maybe got you into trouble got you in some hot water through you know rebellious acts or behaviors or was it just something you kind of internalized and you just simply didn't like it did your behavior demonstrate that you really had that resentment? And I hope I'm not mischaracterizing it. I call <laughs> no, it no, resentment. no, no, no. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And, 
And the, and it's, it's a, it's a, I have an easy answer. Okay. And that's this. Um, no, it didn't affect, you know, it didn't manifest in my behavior. Okay. Uh, because ironically, I had, a, just like I had a lot of similar physical traits that my father had, I had a lot of other, what, uh, other traits okay. that my father had. You know, sense of humor, you know, intelligence, you know, uh, I had a love for music, you know, a musician, you know, love for people, you know, so those are the other things that uh, that I got from him. And those were the things that kind of propelled me to, to want to work and live towards my potential, yeah, you know? Um, and so, so that's what I was saying. It's kind of weird because, because uh, even, and, and even, even growing up, all the fellas used to love talk to Daddy Rich. Daddy Rich. Because my father's name was Richard. Daddy yes, Rich. Yes. You know, fellas come to me. Daddy Rich. What's up, Daddy Rich? You know, and 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 I and I love that, man. I mean, you know, because like I said, that was a part of him that was also a part of me. People right. love being around people and and let's just, you know, let's just let's just make stuff right, you know. And um so it wasn't until later is when I realized that hey, uh, it's 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 simple, but it's profound. Right. And I realized this when um, I was at Hampton High. We were part of a group of uh, nine other teachers going to do this diversity training thing, and uh, that's when when I realized then I said, you know what, I'm good with me. Because God don't make mistakes. Right. For whatever reason, you know, he saw to it that he wanted me to be the spitting image of Richard Holloman Jr. Right. And it was from that point that uh, I became really cool with it. I mean, even, even to the point where I was able to joke even more so than before, instead of, you know, um, you know, get, either getting mad or, or, acting like, you know, I'm thinking, you know, jokes are funny, but you know how it is when you're a kid, you know, you, you laugh and you really upset at jokes and things like yeah. that, you know, but, um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to look back and say, Hey, I'm, I'm proud to be his, his son. Did, did you I, wish, have... I wish he was alive now. I could, I could tell him, but. Gotcha. You know. And that's a, that that mortality thing is real, and, and that was going to be my next question. Um, while he was alive, did you ever have any conversations with him that gave you insight to you know how he grew up and maybe why his mannerisms or some of the way that he you know his behaviors were what they were based on his relationship with his dad? Well, kind of like you, man. Those guys back in the day, they ain't talk like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. they they. They didn't, you know, whereas to us, it's not a big thing to say to a, a, a kid or a family member, hey, I love you, man. You know? Right. But they ain't do that kind of stuff, man. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, although they didn't say it, you still felt it. Right. You feel me? Right. And, and, and so, 
So no, he, as a matter of fact, my wife asked me that question probably about a couple of weeks ago. I mean, no, he, he never told me he loved me, but I knew it. Right. You know? Um, so, so, so yeah. So what, what changed with you? What was the, what, what, when did the, the, the switch flip that made you okay being affectionate, being open with telling people that you love them? Um, for me, it was difficult. My father and I say it now, but I, I put up a post a couple of weeks ago that, um, you know, I, I learned the importance of saying, I, of men saying I love you every day to each other uh, from my 14-year-old son. Because every time I take him to the butts to, to drop him off at school, he said, I love you, dad. And if, if I didn't catch it, he's not moving until I confirm that I love him as well. And I was like, man, that's wild because I didn't teach him that. I love him and I say it, but I mean, on a daily basis mm-hmm. at 14 years old, he's light years ahead of me emotionally in t- like in terms of emotional intelligence, like he's in tune mm-hmm. with his, with his feelings. But for you, if that wasn't the example, how did you get to a place where this is who I am? I say, I love you. I demonstrate it. I make sure people know. Uh, I hope you're ready for this one, bro. Let's, let's hear it. That's, so that's the point of this podcast, man. There's nothing to hold back. If you know when you get a chance to look at my first two episodes, I am, ooh, I am deep in my feelings, and it's not anything to be ashamed of. I really feel like I need to go through this process, and I just hope we can help some others with conversations like this in the process. But I, I cut, you, I cut you off. But how, how did you get there? Well, uh, remember I told you um, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer in '91. Okay, um, went through the surgeries, but unfortunately, you know, again, men at that doing that who grew up during that time, during that period, they ain't go to the doctor, you know, and, and because they ain't go to the doctor, when he finally went to the and, and the reason why he went to the doctor wasn't because of prostate cancer. Mm. The reason why he went to the doctor was because for some reason his right leg began to swell. Wow. And it was because of a high potassium level. Okay. And all of that was all related to the prostate cancer. Wow. And so um so it is spread to his back and spine. And so there were times when he was in pain. And so I remember this one time in particular. He uh He's in pain and he asked me to come and rub his back. So I went and rubbed his back. I rubbed his back. And just like a, 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 a gushing well, those years that I spent being ashamed of him, bro, man, it came out. And my crying, and it 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 was so. It, it's like it's like I was getting rid of all of that guilty feeling, Clinton. years and years and years of guilty feeling. You know, coming out in the, in the, in the tears. Yeah. And all I kept saying was, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm sorry. I love you." And from that point, wow. <laughs> we were good. Wow. That, we were good now. 
that that's that's even that's something for me to process just listening to the story. I'm trying to think thinking back on it with, with my father's experience with prostate cancer, I probably still wasn't by his side enough or as I should have been because he to me he was presenting himself as he was fine, right And again, he's from that old school, don't worry mm-hmm. about me. Mm-hmm. But but there's a danger in that because you don't you don't get to connect emotions with with the moment, right? And then it mm-hmm. becomes conversations like this where you're so many years removed and you can talk about it. But I just wonder did did him and I miss an opportunity to connect on the level that you and your father did? And that's beautiful, man. That 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 it came out that way that you were able to uh, confirm and he could affirm it while he was in his right mind. Um, but that that is a that is a very moving experience. So from that point forward, it was just a decision that this is how you had to live your life. You weren't going to miss moments. You want to make sure that know, people. The ironic thing is we we didn't even talk about that experience. You know, we we just we just from that point on. You know, we just started to experience this new life with this person who I just realized is all right. Right, right. You know what I mean? Cool cat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what's interesting is just thinking about, like reflecting on the baggage that I carry, just trying trying to present this perception of a man that's tough. You know, we get through anything stack it on or stack it on or stack it on us. We'll, we'll, we'll take it until we break. Like how much of actual life living did, like not living freely in who you are and being open and being connected with your emotions. Like how much of life do we forego just trying to be tough? Cause we don't have the tools. At least that, that was the case in my situation. The, the, the odd thing about, um, my relationship with my dad, the one thing that he says about his father, who I never met, his father died when my dad was 20 or 21, and I came along much later, but I'm just like him, is what they say. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and that's, uh, you know, I'm, so clearly he was cool, you know what I'm saying? He was a cool guy, <laughs> but but it's this whole, like, I don't, the doctor thing, that's, a, that's another episode, dear son, take care of your health. Um, but it's those things. We're so busy putting everybody else first, and we think that that's the right thing to do, and that's the noble thing to do. But it takes so much from us that we can't actually give the people around us the love and the affection and the attention that they need because we're too busy trying to take the stress off of them, man. It's, it's weird, man. Being, being, being an adult is scary, bro. <laughs> hey, look, it's, it's kind of like, have you ever seen... Um, those people when they had the plates spinning on the the, the things yeah, yeah, yeah. on poles yep. and, and 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 the the job was to keep the plate spinning yep. without one falling falling down. Yep. <laughs> yep. Story of my yeah. life. That's how I feel yeah. at work. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to circle back to third generation education, um, and clearly now it's a blessing that you uh, landed in this field. Did you ever at any point resent, um, like that 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 family lineage of educators and maybe that was an expectation placed on you that you were going to follow suit. Was it, 
was it ever a point where you were resentful that you that you were on the education track? Actually, it's the opposite. Um, um, it's the opposite because when I decided to go to teach, I had to go and take some classes at ODU and I had to, I had to student teach. And gotcha. the interesting thing is when I had to student teach, I student taught at Booker T. Washington in Norfolk, Norfolk? Okay. where my father was a teacher. <laughs> Can't run from so, it, man. <laughs> so, so here it is. I, I'm, I'm doing my student teaching in the school, trying to prepare for my new career at the same school where my father was. And, and the crazy thing was, one, one day, his brother was a substitute teacher. Okay. So uh, one day, there were three Mr. Hollands at Booker, wow. T. <laughs> Booker T. Washington. That's wild. So, um, yeah. So um, that's, uh, that's, that's where I got a lot of my influence from him, mm. you know, in terms of uh, how he was as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a teacher, but more importantly, like a, a, a colleague. Because keep in mind, you know, I'm there doing a, my, my student teaching, which basically I'm an unofficial teacher, which means going to meetings and everything. Sure. So I'm going to meetings and everything. And I'm seeing my pop bugging with people, having fun. I'm saying to myself, who's that? <laughs> Who this? You know? Right. And, 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 and again, it, 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 it influenced me to be the kind of, you know, educated that I am, you know? Um, so, so it's, it's, a it's, it's just quite an honor, man, to, to, to follow in his footsteps. And I can tell you when I was through the teaching, the time that I realized that this was the right decision was I was being observed by the assistant principal and the assistant principal after, uh, uh, you know, she observed that we were meeting. She said, you know, you're just a born teacher. When she said that, and that was in 1990, when she said that, that's when I uh, I said to myself, "Okay, I'm proud to I'm proud to uh, to be a third generation teacher." And from that point on, I began, you know, uh, when I would introduce myself and you know having a small talk kind of thing, I would say, "Yeah." My pop's a teacher, and you know he taught me the ropes, and he was uh, his mom was a teacher, so and it, it brought a lot of pride, mm. you know, as far as uh, telling other people what uh, what I what I I did, and so so because it, it it felt like a family thing, kind of like a family business, you know. What I mean? You feel me? I do. And so uh, and so that that's where the pride came, and so then came the 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 joy of working with kids that he worked well like the kids that he worked with he was at Booker T. Um I'll never forget <laughs> he came home and he said, Man, you know what? I had this kid count two hundred dollars in my face. Cause you know, being a drug dealer. Sure. And so that that was a that was a the the, the topic of discussion. Well, <laughs> I get to Hampton High School, and in 1997, you probably know the guy. 
Yeah. I may or may not. <laughs> well, you may have heard the name before. Yeah. I, I may or may <laughs> not. <laughs> well, he uh, had to had to get a job because that's what my class it was about. You need to get yeah. a job. You get credit for the class and credit for the job. Kept saying, "Bro, you gotta come on, man. I I I gotta. I'm trying to help him, man. At least." It's not an application. Give me something, bro. Give yeah. me something. You won't give me anything. And so the uh, uh, the day when I had to, you know, let everyone know uh, how many credits they were getting, I told him, I said, hey, look, let me talk to you in my office, man. I told him, I said, I don't think you're going to make it, man. I, I, you didn't give me nothing to work with, man. I, I got to prove that you got a job and or leave a look. And, and you didn't give me nothing. So the next day he came and he said, can I talk to you in my office? And he had a leather jacket on. I said, yeah. He said, can you close the door? I said, yeah, sure. Man, he reached into his jacket. I said, oh, don't shoot me. (laughs) 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 This this dude pulled out a plastic bag of five knots of $1,000. Put put it on the desk. See, man, see, you know, you know, I know you're a cool brother, and you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You know, this, that's how we roll. I'm like, nah, man, I, I can't, I can't roll like that, bro. Drive game in high school. That's Five aggressive, G's, baby. That's aggressive. <laughs> that's aggressive. Wow, jeez. Wow. So, um, but but the thing, the reason why I say that is because similar experiences of my father. Pop came home, told us. Some kid counted two hundred dollars in his face. You know, I had the uncle <laughs> five G's. <laughs> Big bank take little bank. <laughs> Big yeah, bank yeah. take little bank. That's crazy, yeah, man. What? Yeah. So I, I think you have a unique perspective because you get to see a concentration of young black boys that are becoming young black men, and you get to observe them from a from a a unique position. Like what? It, what? It, what are some of those? behaviors i mean that was a good example there but like what do you are these are these young boys are they hurting for and longing for that father dynamic is it just true rebellion i mean it there there's a there's a source to how these young guys are acting right there's something that's driving it and you know i think back to my time in high school never you know everybody had that, that time when they were just doing you know, dumb things, but I, I wonder because of your position, like, what are you, what are you seeing? Like what's lacking in our boys uh, that's, you know, that's acted out on or, or the, you know, you see the behavior manifested in the school settings. Well, uh, I see quite a few things, man. Um, uh, but I, I think the difference between these kids these days and how and and how they can be affected versus when you were in school uh is is information overload you know the the the, the these kids got the world at their fingertips yep. uh i have a i, I in, in that group i was telling you about under black men of hampton there's a guy that's an fbi forensic specialist hmm. and he said man do you know that if people realize that the same amount of technology and power 
it took to send a man to the moon is in their, these phones. Yeah. I was like, what? I believe and so, so I, I think that's a huge, huge competition for men these days, well, parents, because, and again, we didn't have these things when, when I was coming up and I remember those things. I, I'll say this, the closest that we had was MySpace. Sure. Okay. But other than that, you know, the iPhone came into existence when 2007 and after yeah. that, <laughs> you know, so, so you all have to compete sure. with your children's time. You know, and 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 I see that uh, as an educator, whereas sometimes the parents have to pick and choose the things that they demand from their kids because they know that their kids can tune them out just like that. And so it's it's they now I can tell you what they do though. What they do is so instead of them always, you know, pressuring the kids to you know, do your homework, you know, take out the trash, that kind of thing. And as an educator, I always throw out this suggestion to say, hey, look, I want to be a part of your village, okay? So being a part of your village means this. Uh, if you have a son that goes to our school and he did well on the soccer field, the football field, I want to let him know that I'm aware that he did well, just like his daddy knows. And I'm going to make a big deal about it. Because to the kid, the kid is going to see me as, okay, well, he, he got just as excited as me doing well as, you know, as my, my parents or, you know, people in my family. And the same goes the other way around. Uh, you know, uh, there have been times when, Kids have done kid things, and I had to, I had to do my job and give them a discipline. But what I would do is I would take that time uh, that I have talking with the kids to have them to understand that number one, and this is the most important thing. It's not that I don't like them. You know, they gotcha. think discipline equals you don't like me. Right. Pain equals you don't like me. Okay, and so. Once I, once I confirm that I understand that that's their perspective, then I'm able to talk to them in a way where they can put down their guard. Gotcha. And 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 then begin to listen and see that, wow, this guy has an interest in me, and he he barely knows me, and um, so, so. Those are the things that 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 makes your job, well, our job, difficult as as caregivers and parents, because you know we we just got to compete yeah. for something that's right there. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. That's one of the struggles I had with um, not just my sons is how much technology to give them because I'm a techie, right? I, I like the mm -hmm. nice, I like the new phone but I'm mature enough and I have enough life experience to know how to manage it. But th these things are natural to them. Like you give you, if you hand my six year old son a device, he expects it to do nothing less than 
be able to download games, be able to watch TV, be able to watch movies, be able to connect instantly with his friends across the world. Like these are the <laughs> the basic expectations of technology and they, I mean, they're on it. And then you have all the influence and it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, it's just the old, you know, don't let the, the, the I guess it was TV in, in my generation, but don't let the internet raise your kids. Yeah. But, but there's a, a very delicate balance that, um, you know, information is outpacing any interactions that a parent can have with their child. Man. And then you as an educator, I'm interested, like, what do you draw the line with your energy? Because it it's, you, you can almost care too much. Well, I guess you can't, but I mean, there's only so much of your time and energy to be invested. And how do you, how do you, how do you negotiate where to draw the line? Well, you know, man, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting that you say that very interesting because if you don't know where to draw the line and this is i'm i'm thinking about what the old veterans used to tell me my first couple of years there as a teacher okay mm-hmm. uh teacher and you might even remember like uh she's coach hamilton coach ham. Coach, ham. <laughs> coach ham i can i can hear him right now right right you can't save him you can't save him all <laughs> You know, yes, you know, uh, Mr. Scott, you know, uh, same thing. Um, and so when they school me to realize that I can't save all the kids, then that helped me to, and and I'm not going to say accept, I'll just say deal with better, uh, the times that I lost. And I, and, and I could tell you this, in 13 years of teaching in the classroom, I think I lost probably nine kids to murder or suicide. Wow, nine too many. Yep, yep. And so when those things, when those, and, and, and okay, you remember um, in 95 when the O.J. Simpson Verdict mm-hmm. came out, mm-hmm. and remember, they, there was this big thing about this kid that was found hung on the grounds of the Hampton Coliseum, and they were mm-hmm. trying to figure out. You know, that was mm-hmm. my student. Oh wow! Yeah, he's my student. Wow. Uh, another student, man. I I encouraged to uh, to to come back because uh, he and I just clicked. My first year, he, we clicked, and he came back. Uh, and and no 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 no, he went to summer school and finished. And um, when I learned that he finished summer school, and I was happy until I found out that he owed too much money to people and took himself out. Um, so, so you have to find that balance because if you don't, you will find yourself battling depression because you'd be sunken into the kids that you care for so much their lives. So to the point, there's a need for self-preservation. Sure. And so that's that's why the guys had said that you can't save them all. And and actually, now those are high school students. And I've been an administrator in middle school and elementary. And so what I do for well, what I've done for those teachers under my supervision, I use the that same wisdom that the 
older guys gave me as a high school teacher, but I'll have to alter it a little bit because to say to, to say you can't save an, uh, a 19 year old who has 10 credits and he needs 21 credits to graduate, it's a little easier for someone to say, well, you know what? I can't save him versus a fifth grader who messed up in school right. and, you know, and it's the same thing as the, as the, as the 19 year old who messed up in school, but well, excuse me, same thing as a 19 year old who messed up in school that disappointed teachers, sure. administrators, just like the fifth grader would disappoint his teachers, his classmates. And so when I tell, when I, when I talk to elementary teachers, I say to them, Hey, when I was, when I was teaching high school kids, one thing that helped me to save my, my, my sanity that the veteran teachers helped me to understand was I can't save them all, but I had to have them to understand that they can't have that mentality. They can't have that. I can't save a fifth grade. <laughs> no. Gotcha. And so, but the fact that they may not be able to save that fifth grader 10 years from now, that's the reality of it all. And so, um, right. Yep. So, uh, those, those are some of the, the, the things that I try to use my experience to benefit, you know, those that I supervise and, and, and when I do that, you know, I always, always, when I discuss my days as a, as a teacher, I always put out the mistakes that I made because I don't want them to think that, you know, I'm this person that did, you know, so did all this, all these things well. And no, nah, uh, I messed up and I'm going to tell you I messed up, you know? And so, um, and, and, and again, that's, that's, I guess you could say the benefit of not only the, the, um, the mentors that I had growing up, but you know, the, the parents that I had, you know, they demanded you messed up. Yeah, you did it. Ain't nobody right. else. You did it. So I just been super blessed, man. Super, super blessed to to have, you know, my dad to to come into the business, to have older teachers. And, and when I came into the business, they were like already on year 20. So, you know, they were they were looking at the dough you know, in 10 years. Right. Um, so I was able to, to be with them during that, that, that period and, you know, attain some of that wisdom. Matter of fact, that's how I was able to uh, work the Hampton Jazz Festival uh, for those seven years and from 94 to 2000 because of Mr. Scott. He taught English at Hampton High. Right. You know, so I benefited from just being around some great people, man. Great people. Sounds like a very fulfilling career, and that 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 story is not yet finished. Um, but one thing that was really interesting in in the last uh, comments was the older generation, including your pops, showed you the ropes of how to be successful in your career. Mm-hmm. So we have the capacity at that generation. We have that capacity at our generation to pass along information. Why is it so much easier to do it in a professional context than it is to do it in a life context? Like here are the things that you, here are the tools that you need for life. 
those are the conversations I felt like I was missing. And again, it was probably because I was pushing my pops away. But I just I just feel like there's such a disconnect from one generation to the next, especially in the black community. There's this, you know, sense of I went through it and it made me strong and that you need to go through it. It's like we don't we don't set ourselves up for the next generation to 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 leap to you know to to close that that wealth that education gap um and I don't think it's all ignorance I don't think that we're you know not educated or unlearned and don't have any information but for whatever reason it seems to be this thing of you know if I went through it then you need to go through it so you can figure out on your own and mm-hmm. I, I just I, I can't put my finger on it well well I would suggest and also to your listeners man I would suggest uh, there, there are various books out there, but the, the topic is being able to understand the different generations. Mm-hmm. Okay, just good. I'm, I'm sure you've heard the, the baby boomer generation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a generation before them, and they were called a traditional generation. Mm-hmm. Whereas they did, you know, as they saw life as being traditional, you know, they, they the, the woman didn't work, you know, and so... So, but the, the reason why I'm mentioning these different generations is because there are various characteristics associated with the different generations. Mm. For example, we already talked about one. When we talked about how uh, men who were like uh, my father's age and your grandfather's age, they just didn't talk about feelings and, right. and stuff like that, you know, that was a characteristic of them in that either traditional or baby boomer generation. But the thing is, that's a characteristic of that generation. And each generation has a specific characteristic. Sure. Okay. And so the, uh, as a matter of fact, I've also read that one of the characteristics and the differences of millennial parents versus either baby boomer or traditional parents is baby boomer or traditional parents, they didn't care if their kids uh, like them as human beings. That's True. why they talk about the feelings. True. You know, and their main thing was, I'm a provider. True. I'm going to provide, you know, I'm, I'm going to put food on the table. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, have lights on, you know, and it's kind of funny because, you know, Chris Rock has a, has a, 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 a little comedian spot that talks about, you know, Fathers, you know, they're providers, but you don't hear the kids say, Dad, thanks for these lights. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, you know, I, I'm really glad, I'm really grateful that, you know, that, that I can see, you know, at night and, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Like, thanks for the food on the table, Dad. Yeah, kids don't say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, um, but, but, but again, the differences in the generations that's and the characteristics associated are, um, uh, for the millennials, it's been said that their parenting style is more reflective of them wanting to be their child's friend. friend I believe, and so therefore, that's that's why. Matter of fact, um, there was a saying that goes, uh, "Stay in a child's place." That I used to hear all the time. Man, you got to go watch the last episode. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I went on a tangent on that. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, man. Really. Yeah. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. But 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 that's indicative of the characteristics of that generation. You know, you a kid. What, what, what you doing here? You know, 
But, so let, all right, let, I got I got I got I got to break the, the the interview rule. This is not an interview; it's a conversation. So I'm not breaking the interview okay. rule. But okay, because you brought it up, right? The tangent I went off on on the last episode about staying in child's place is, I grew up hearing it, I grew up saying it. Where the heck is the child's place? Like, what does it actually mean? Like, from my perspective, a lot of times it feels like it's a cop out to not explain something that you probably didn't get an explanation for in your life, so you don't think that your child is due that explanation. I think you. I think. I think you're right on it. Okay. I think you. I'm not sure. Fact. No. No. I think you're right on it. And and, and the thing is, you got to be humble enough to realize that that can happen to you, if that right. makes any sense. Yeah. It absolutely makes sense. Because <laughs> I, I, you know, I've said it. I've said it. You know, like I, I grew up, I'm first generation out the hood, right? So my parents and my sister's five years older than me. Uh, she was born in the hood. But by the time I came along, we were doing a little bit better. Like not necessarily middle class, but, you know, I didn't have the project experience. So my parents are, that was the bulk of their life, you know, at, at that time. Of course, they lived much longer now. But mm-hmm. I just, I had to catch myself like, in, in the kind of the premise without going too much into the episode was my son had an issue with how I was treating him. And the ultimate underlying concern was he didn't understand why. So it wasn't that I needed to treat him different in all cases. He wanted to know why. Like he, he was like, I, I, I started, he started feeling like he was always doing something wrong because like how I called his name, like a very stern, very sharp. And if he didn't do his chores, the penalty seemed to be a little bit more excessive than it was with his sisters. We had a, a real good conversation about real emotional conversation about it coming into the new year. But it, it made me think like, sometimes they, they need an explanation because what I don't want yeah. to happen with my son is that you blindly accept direction your whole life. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no negotiation about it. There's no frame of mm-hmm. reference or context. And then you get out in the world and you say, nah, don't, don't take that from nobody. Well, they mm-hmm. took it from you, mm-hmm. they whole life mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. somebody they respect. So mm-hmm. th- that's, that's what the, that's what the tangent was. But I, I just, that no, whole that, child's I, place. I, I, yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to listen to that one, man, because I can hear a whole lot coming from that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it was me, like this whole journey is me accepting responsibility for where I haven't been at my best, right? Whether I knew to be, whether I lacked the tools, whether not I lacked the, into- the uh, intelligence. Um, and I'm creating these conversations so it doesn't have to be repeated, right? I, I'm, I'm obsessive with it not being repeated in my family. But I think like and the more that I have these conversations that this is, this is more common than unique to, to me no matter what your story was, what walk of life you came from, there's this theme of we're missing opportunities to prepare our children. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very focused on my sons. It's, it's, there's an expectation that the world has or, or a perspective that the world has of black men because you're a black man, right? Mm-hmm. And I told my son, when he walks out of the house, the world doesn't have the benefit or even care about knowing what his backstory is. Mm-hmm. He's black, right? So I, I, I go overboard trying to prepare him, but I wasn't giving him the context. So for him, it was just, 
dad is bugging, right? He, he's mm-hmm. not he's not telling me anything. Mm-hmm. So like this is part of my journey is being more aware of that and figuring out how to how to have these conversations with my sons, how to communicate. And I know I need to start even earlier with my younger son. And, you know, the more that I replay it, I'm just thinking about all the opportunities I missed with my dad and can't imagine what he missed with his dad because they didn't communicate. So let me ask, let me ask this question. Sure. Um, what do adults identify themselves as? They mostly identify themselves by their profession, right? You know, I'm a teacher, a firefighter, you know, generally. Bruh. Bruh. Put, put, put aside 40 minutes to listen. Because the last episode I was talking about, my job became my identity. And that's, <laughs> and, and that's what I focused on to the detriment of my children. Because, because I could control my job. Like, I, I, I could handle my job. I was, I, was, I, did, I was good at it. Still good at it. So I put all my stock mm-hmm. in that, right? Mm-hmm. While I'm putting stock in that, providing for them, I'm not having conversations with them about what this means for you to have this life and what I expect mm-hmm. in return. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now I'm just frustrated because they're not living up to an expectation that I never communicated. And then I just focus more on work, be a little bit more successful, be able to have a little bit better life, create a little bit more better opportunities for them. Now my expectation is rising, but I still never had the conversation about what I expect from them. That's my children. Well, let me ask you this question. What do children identify themselves as? And and, and I'll just I'll just, you know, yes. for time's sake, I'll just, hmm. you know, give you children identify themselves as either what grade they're in or the school they go to. Cause that's their life. You feel me? That's their life, you know? Uh and 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 kind of kind of on the low, you know, just kind of notice how your kids introduce themselves to strangers. They're going to say, I'm in the 10th grade, I go to such and such school. Right. Okay? And so the reason why I'm saying that is um, I would suggest for you to do something to show how involved you are in your child's life, and you can do it in a very simple way. And that's this. I would encourage you to make an appointment to meet the principal of the school of the kids where you go, where they go to. The reason for that is this. One, you want the head person to whenever they see your kids, to connect your kids with the man that they met, okay? And another benefit of that is this. I tell parents all the time, don't put your trust in a building of a school or the name of a school. Because I'm going to tell you, man, I work at a gifted center. The creme de la creme school in Hampton, Okay? And some of the stuff that I see that had I been a parent, I would be living Mm. at the gifted center. Wow. And so there are people who put their trust in that title. My child goes to the gifted center, not knowing 
There's some people working at Gifted Center that may have some issues. Right. Yeah. Being 100. Yeah. Okay. And so, so because that's reality and because that can possibly exist, the reason why I suggest for you to just make an appointment just one time, one time, is once you make a connection with that principal, then from that point on, whenever that principal sees any of your kids with his colleagues, he's going to say, I met, the, I met that kid's father. He's right. a pretty nice man. That's how you can grow and become involved in your kid's life with the major decision makers. You feel me? I do. Whereas if one of your kids come home and tell you there's something crazy that their teacher told them, guess what? The relationship that you'd already established with the principal will make it so that you will be comfortable calling him. They'll be comfortable receiving your call. Right. Mr. Mr. Johns, you know, uh, I really, I really uh, like the way that we we addressed that, that issue the last time you called regarding your your child, and so uh, I would like to continue that positive relationship. Tell me what do I need to do to make things better for you, and to take away this anxiety that your child has given you based on what the teacher said. Makes perfect sense. You ain't got to. You ain't got to. And, and see, the thing is, you know, uh, what typically happens is kids go home, kids tell the parents what happened, parents get pissed off, reach out to the teacher. And sometimes the administrator don't even know about it. But the parents are so pissed at the teacher because that that parental protection thing comes over. Let me get that person who made my child feel like this. You feel me? I've lived it. Yeah, so that's... That's that's why they spend the bulk of their energy towards the person who has the least amount of power. The classroom teacher. Makes sense. You know? So so that that's what I that's what I that's the role that I try to play as an educator sure. and as a quasi parent. You know, uh I my, I always try to, you know, position myself by saying, hey, look, I'm not trying to take over. I just want to be a part of your village. Sure. You know? Sure. Hey, um, that 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 is, you drop some valuable jewels or game or whatever the kids say. Um, <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to apply that because there's a, there's a lot of wasted energy with the teachers and that's probably not the, you know, their focus is so widespread and everybody's coming at them and probably do need to take it up a couple of levels and mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to implement that. But Hey man, it, it's, it, this has been, I, I know we just scratched the surface on a lot of stuff, but <laughs> I really appreciate this conversation. It, it has opened my eyes and brought my perspective on a couple of different things. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to play this back and process some of the things that you said. Um, the way that I want to end these conversations with guests is with the segment that I call father to father. Right. Um, and that's where I seek some advice from the guests that they would give me as a father that they got from their father, that they provide, you know, that they have um, derived from their role or experience as a father. But in your particular case, 
I want to know what Daddy Rich would say, man. All your friends loved him. He was beloved. <laughs> what, would, what would Daddy Rich tell me, man, at this stage of my life? What game would he give me? I know exactly what he would say, man. Let's hear it. I know exactly what he would say and why he would say it. He would say, especially to your two boys, show your kids your emotions and your vulnerabilities. So, Because when you show your kids your emotions or more importantly, your vulnerabilities, then you'll be coming down from your perch and you'll be viewed by your kids as being human. Because you're a parent, you you up there, <laughs> you you in the stars, okay, and 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 when you show that you're vulnerable, that means that the kids will know that it's okay to be wrong. You see, sometimes kids equate being wrong with being bad, and so. You, you show your vulnerabilities and for your boys, it's okay for them to cry. You know, there's a lot of emotional damage if there's a kid who doesn't understand, a, a, a boy who doesn't understand that crying is, the, is nature's way of giving you therapy. And if you don't tap into that and demonstrate it and model it, They'll be missing out on uh, on their daddy, Rich. <laughs> no better way to end it, man. Again, Dr. Holliman, <laughs> I appreciate you, man. You are the inaugural guest for this platform. Uh, I hope at some point we can circle back some time down the road and see. Oh, if we have to, us. bro. Yeah, we have yeah. to. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But I want to say this: I hope I'm not out of order sure. by saying that. Seeing you, first of all, I, I told my wife before, you know, I got on, uh, I said I wanted her to meet you. I said, because, you know, this is a guy it, that his uh, email is table for seven. And um, I told her, you know, you live in Dallas. But more importantly, man, you know, you and the other guys, you know, I tell my wife this all the time. And it's not just Ronald. You know, it's 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 all the other guys, man, that that I was blessed to be able to have a, a, a small, tiny part, you know, of your life as kids and, and to see you all as grown men and contributing as grown men, man, it's, 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 it's just such a humbling feeling and a blessing to see that I was being used and as I was being used, look at how these young men have turned out. Sure. So I, I, I'm just so ecstatic, man, to see you like this. My words can't even express, it, man. man. I'm humbled by it. And you're not out of place, not because you complimented me, but I appreciate that. And I can, I'm not out of place in speaking for the team that, you know, we need to hear that. We appreciate that. And we appreciate you, man. It's, it's, it's something to be able to have a connection with, um, an authoritative figure at one point in your life 
And then they watch you and they're invested in how you mature and you grow and they give you advice, whether it's daily, annually. I mean, it, it, it all matters. And I think you're one of the guys that it means something to us to know that you're proud of us. And I don't have a long, I don't have a long list of those people, quite honestly. So <laughs> thank you. Your flowers while wow, you can release virtually accept yeah. them. So hey, look, man, please let's let's do this again. And and if you could please do me a favor, I would want to uh check out your first two episodes. So if you okay. could you know, whatever way, send that to me. Sure. And 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 actually, I would like to. I, I would like to, at some point, be a small part of this. And the reason why I'm saying that is because um, March 25th, 2020, is the first day that some uh, VSU alumni got together and started a VSU prayer call every morning. Okay. And it's been in existence for 540 days. Gotcha. And this upcoming Saturday is going to be the last day. Mm. So I'm going to need something to, you know, to, you. to become involved in. Yeah. Transfer of sure. energy. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yep. There you go. There you so go. I, I, um, I've been getting some, some feedback around where this could possibly turn into a community program. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. This is, there's nothing uh, vain about this for me. This is a true journey. I'm just sharing it. I'm being vulnerable. I'm trying to, you know, demonstrate to my sons that it's okay. And, uh, you know, they're going to be part of the podcast at some point too, when they're comfortable, because I want to make sure that, uh, you know, that they're checking me, right? I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. up here purporting to be something that, that I'm not doing all of these things, but um, I, I'm, I'm for it, man. Let's, well, of course we'll stay connected, but let's be intentional about that. Yeah. Um, Next time you come home, man, please let's let's yeah. break bread. Yeah. Well, <laughs> last time I was home, it, it turned into a whole thing, which is another podcast. Uh, I, love, <laughs> I, I came there for vacation and stayed for surgery. That's a whole other thing. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of tell me about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of the Dear Son Podcast. If you made it to this point in the show, please make sure you like. Make sure you subscribe and leave a comment. There was plenty in this episode that should have resonated with you at some point in some way, shape or form. So make it known in the comments. Uh, I appreciate you and God bless. Peace. The Dear Son Podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.